0: There have been few Christian leaders in the church in the modern era who have suffered such criticism, attacks, and outright slander as Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher of the 19th century. He endured much criticism during his ministry and his life. And uh, some of it was inevitable because Spurgeon was a world-renowned preacher and a leading pastor in his day in England. And much like the Apostle Paul's enemies, Spurgeon's critics attacked his gospel message and accused him of self-seeking motives. During one of those stressful periods, Spurgeon wrote to a friend these words, and I quote Spurgeon, "'Friends firm, enemies alarmed, devil angry, sinners saved, Christ exalted, self not well,' unquote. You know, the Apostle Paul could have written those same words from his prison cell in Rome. Remember, he is in prison and he is under great adversity and attack by his enemies, and yet he is writing and his concern is for the churches, and he's writing what we now call the prison epistles, the letter of Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. And we want to focus on the Apostle Paul's firm faithfulness in ministry, and also on the people that surrounded him that were supporting him. And we come to the end of, uh, towards the end of these last couple of messages out of the letter to the Colossian church. And uh, we want to encourage you, I want to encourage you as we again, review a little bit and then look at these few verses uh, of what it means to be a friend and a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and a blessing to others who have great responsibility great need. And so if you take your copy of Scripture to turn in the New Testament to the letter of Colossians, the little letter of Colossians that we've been going through and uh, we are going to look at uh, eight of these people today and then in our next session we will continue on uh, with finishing up the letter uh, to the Colossian church. Remember uh, the letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul's main emphasis is on the supremacy and the the primary uh, person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, there were false teachers entering the church at Colossae. Epaphras had brought a a report to Rome to the Apostle Paul, (coughs) and there was great concern about false teaching invading the church at Colossae. The Apostle Paul is responding to that and he's pointing out the supremacy of Christ. The first two chapters he has talked about the doctrine of Christology, if you will, of the prim- the primacy and the and the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's really the doctrinal section. And then chapters three, particularly, and the first part of four, uh, he we've looked at this, and that's the application of that doctrine. Uh, the first two chapters of who Jesus Christ is, and then the next two chapters of what we are to be about as Christians living the Christian life. Remember the Apostle Paul in the beginning of this letter, clear back in chapter 1, verse 1, he addresses the recipients of the letter, the people at Colossae, and he calls them saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Remember a saint is one that is set apart unto God. Every Christian is called the saint. Now our faithfulness is in question, as just as with the people at Colossae. There were some that were falling away to this false teaching and accepting a false gospel. And uh, the Apostle Paul encourages them to focus on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and peace from God our Father. And so we come to chapter 4 and we've looked through these, uh, there were some 11 or more imperative verbs or commands on how to live out the Christian life, and the Apostle Paul then goes on to talk about, he's closing his part here, he's closing from his cell in Rome Uh, this letter. And uh, as we come to these last few messages from the letter to Colossians, the Apostle Paul uh, lists names of people, of friends, co-workers, and we would call these people early day saints, early day saints. You know, in the book of Acts, the historical record written by Luke and also Paul's epistles, There are at least a hundred individuals listed, either named or unnamed, that are associated with the Apostle Paul. And in fact, in Romans chapter 16, 26 people are listed there alone. And so the Apostle Paul was not uh, one who worked all on his own and by himself. He was accompanied by friends and co-workers who prayed for him and took care of him. You know, the glory of Scripture, the glory of the Bible, is that we have an unbroken and trustworthy record from the early day saints, really. And in this section, we'll recognize these saints to be the same kind of people as we are today. They have the same Lord, they believe the same dramatic, dynamic truths of Scripture that we believe and this is a very relevant passage for us. Our tendency when we get to a conclusion of a letter like this, and we see a bunch of people's names listed, <clears throat> excuse me, we, we tend to speed over that, and yet it's there for a purpose, there's a reason, there's an original intent of the author to record this. And there's ther- certain themes which come out at us, there's focuses here, and emphasis the Apostle Paul wants us to learn and understand and they shine through the lives of these individuals and they can instruct us on how to live our Christian life today. And it's an important portrait. These are characteristics that the church ought to reflect and guide us in our individual lives as well as corporately as a local church family. And the first theme is that of the importance of being a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, that important distinction of what is called discipleship. You know in uh, in my family i come from a long line of photographers i have photographs from the 1800s of family members and and then uh, on through the 20th century and i have actually kodachrome slides that my grandfather ben took back in the 1940s and there's a family portrait and i always enjoy looking at family portraits and reflecting back upon The individuals in my life and my personal family but yet uh, there are other individuals there's friends uh, and and of course relatives but people that I grew up with and people who have been in the churches that I've been in over the years and uh, they're all reflective of this family portrait if you will and this is the Apostle Paul's as we come to chapter 4 beginning in verse 7 down through the end of this letter it's a family portrait if you will and the Apostle Paul is giving us some characteristics of these individuals that he names that we are to learn from and the characteristics of what it means to be a follower and a co laborer in the gospel mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come to this today. And so before we look into this passage, let me pray and then we will begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that we have it in our own language. Thank you that you have protected and given us your word that's trustworthy, authoritative, and we, we can just depend upon you to teach us today. And we look forward to that. Thank you for the apostle Paul and thank you for this passage of scripture today. For it's in Jesus' precious name I pray, amen and amen. So these characteristics we see in uh, Colossians, beginning in chapter seven, as he starts naming, he names some 10 individuals by the end of this book in uh, this, these few paragraphs. We will look at the first eight today and then finish up in our next session. But verses seven and nine, look at these. And these, the characteristic is faithful people. Uh, the importance of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that there is a faithfulness that is reflected in your life. In verse 7, as to all my affairs, he's going to a personal conclusion in this letter. He's talked about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, about what that means to the Christian believer and how it should change our lives and how we should live out our faith. And then he goes on in verse 7, as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information for I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts." Uh, Here's a faithful person, a follower of Jesus Christ, who the Apostle Paul depended upon in the ministry, in the gospel ministry. When I had the privilege of uh, visiting our brothers and sisters in Christ in Indonesia a number of years ago, uh, they uh, were the Samongdong tribe in West Kalimantan uh, on the island of Borneo, the Indonesian province of Kalimantan, And uh, we would visit these uh, Dayak villages, these indigenous peoples of Borneo. And uh, one day, uh, one of the men wanted to take us up to the big jungle. Because uh, as the trees were being logged off there, there were portions left of the original uh, jungle that were left and the gigantic trees that are there or were there. And uh, he wanted to take us there, so we went and uh, hiked up uh, quite a long ways and uh, up some very rocky terrain. And we finally arrived in uh, the virgin timber in the jungle, and it was just an amazing thing. But I didn't know where I was, you know, I just followed my guide. And uh, he took us up there, and then he took us back to the village, back to our destination. And there's something about being a disciple, a follower. We follow those that went on be- before us, follow those uh, who primarily point us to Jesus Christ. And that's what <clears throat> Tychicus was doing here. Uh, he was, uh, just a little background, he's from the province of Asia. We know that from Acts 20, verse 4, uh, province of Asia would be over in uh, present-day Turkey. He was mentioned by Paul also in 2 Timothy 4.12, Titus 3.12. Paul sent him to Colossae for the express purpose of informing them about his affairs and about what was going on with him. They wanted to know and to encourage them. Now remember, they didn't have email, they didn't have telephones, they didn't have social media, And so Tychicus had to travel the 1,000 miles back to the east, back to Colossae to send and report about Paul's ministry there. But notice how he is described here in verse 7. He said he is a beloved brother, a beloved brother. And that's the horizontal relationship to one another. That's that brotherly love and it's a relationship to fellow believers. He is a beloved brother in Christ. Secondly, he's a faithful servant. Look at verse seven again, a faithful servant. And that's the vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. He is one who serves ultimately Christ. Yes, he is serving Paul in this way, he is helping him, but ultimately it's because of the motive of the serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he tells us also that he's a fellow bondservant in the Lord. There's a close identity with the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul identifies himself as a bond slave or bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's sent with a purpose. Notice in verse 8, he's going to bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances or our happenings and that he may encourage your hearts. And so the Apostle Paul is communicating to the people of Colossae through Tychicus and he's also sending in verse 9 the second individual that's named here in verse 9 look at verse 9 and with him onesimus our faithful and beloved brother who is one of our number they will inform you about our whole situation here and so onesimus and if you are familiar with that name it's because remember he was the slave that uh, the book of philemon was written to philemon to receive his slave back there in colossi and so philemon is the follow-up letter to the letter to the Colossian church, and the flat Philemon was written to an individual, and we have copies of that in our New Testament also, but note, anesimus probably a recent convert under the ministry of the Apostle Paul, who was a runaway slave, uh, was being sent back as one of the emissaries of the Apostle Paul for Christ and he's identified also as a faithful brother, a faithful brother, this vertical relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and also with other believers. He's a beloved brother, horizontal relationship again and he's one of the Colossians. He's from the city of Colossae and with Tychicus he's going to inform the Colossians of this whole situation in Rome. The Paul, Paul, Apostle Paul is under house arrest and uh, he is waiting Uh, for the culmination of that. So faithful, faithful people. The emphasis is on faithful. And, you know, our faith is not tested until we're really in adversity. Our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ is good on a sunny day, but on a cloudy day and a stormy day, it gets tough, doesn't it? We're in a current season of adversity, and it's very common to recognize that things are out of control, and therefore we become fearful, perhaps, and then fear usually produces anger. And we see here that there's great adversity in the early church, in the, in the church at Colossae, plus also in the apostle's life as he's imprisoned. And yet he wasn't fearful, he wasn't angry, but he was simply sending these men to report on his circumstance. In verses 10 and 11, we see the second characteristic, and that is availability. Not only faithfulness, but availability. And this is one of the keys in ministry, and we see available people here. Look at the verse part of 10a. In 10 he says here, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. Aristarchus. Uh, Aristarchus was Paul's fellow prisoner, uh, probably either voluntarily or maybe he had been arrested along with Paul. We're not sure but he was there and he was sacrificing his own freedom to be with the Apostle Paul in Rome. And he sends his greetings too. Aristarchus was a Thessalonian who accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey. We can read about that in Acts 19, Acts 20, Acts 27. Uh, He was Paul's fellow prisoner uh, that he attended to Paul. He served Paul there, he helped him, and uh, also probably helped in the preaching of the gospel to those around him. Paul also called him a fellow worker in Philemon 24. And so Aristarchus is the third person. The fourth one is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Look at the second part of verse 10. Also, Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And so Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, he was a companion on Paul's first missionary journey. If you're familiar with that first missionary journey out of Acts Chapter 12, you can read about him. He was later Peter's associate. As Peter's associate. Peter even referred to him as my son, which could have meant that he was his convert at some point. Uh, Mark deserted the Apostle Paul on the first missionary journey, if you remember that. And uh, he and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, had a great dissension between them about taking him along on the next missionary journey. In fact, it was a schism between Barnabas and Paul. And so uh, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, even though he deserted him here, Paul had commended him. And in Philemon 24, as he did later in 2 Timothy 4.11, Mark became an important co-laborer with the Apostle Paul. So there was a mending of a fractured relationship. And I think that is key for us today too, because there is a tendency, especially under adverse situations, especially during this pandemic, for relationships to, to, to fracture, because all of us have opinions and all of us have preferences about what should happen and how it should happen and how to do things and so there's a tendency to polarize in our relationships and we need to understand the Apostle Paul even though he was in a fractured relationship at one point with Barnabas and Mark he there, later that was repaired and he became an important co laborer with the Apostle Paul. The third, the, the next person it is uh, Jesus, also known as Justice, and look at verse 11. Verse 11, also Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. And so this Jesus, which was a very common Jewish name, Justice is his Greek or Roman name, uh, and that's typical of that day. People with uh, very Jewish names would also have more of a Gentile name to reference them. But Jesus, also known as Justice, it was a, he was a common name of that day. And he was one of Paul's companions in, in uh, Acts uh, 1, Acts 18. And then it talks about these three, Aristarchus, Mark, and, and uh, this Jesus or Justice. And these three... Uh, were Jews, literally, of the circumcision, it says. That's an identification of Jewish people, either by birth, either they were born as natural-born Jews, or they were, by conversion, became uh, believers in Israel's God. We're not told that here. But these fellow workers for the kingdom of God comforted and consoled the apostle Paul, and they were loyal to him, they comforted him. And that word comfort, this is the only occurrence of that word, in the New Testament, it means relief or consolation uh, that they provided for the Apostle Paul. Of course, the Apostle Paul was Jewish, even though he was a Roman citizen, he was Jewish in background. And so these are available people. So we had faithful people, available people, of course they're all faithful because they're listed here. And then in verses 12 through 14, prayerful people, prayerful people, and we see First one there is Epaphras, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of your number, in other words, he's from Colossae, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. And so we see Epaphras, first of all, is a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He's the one that came and brought the report to the Apostle Paul in Rome. And he's always laboring earnestly in his prayers. And look what he's praying for in verse 12 that is prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Perfect there means fully completed in Jesus Christ, that they may stand in their completion in Christ and not stand in their own flesh or in their own works. And in verse 13, Paul goes on to tell us, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are at Laodicea and Hierapolis. And so we see that he had a deep concern for these cities in the Lycus River Valley, for uh, Laodicea, the Colossians, the Laodiceans, and at Hierapolis. And if you have your Bible maps in the back, you can look at Asia Minor, and you can find those three cities in that river valley. And this is where Epaphras was from. And like Onesimus, he was a a Colossian, one of you that Paul depicted as a servant of Christ, And where it says he's always wrestling in prayer, that's the word that we get agonized out of. And there's this idea that he agonized in prayer. In the Old Testament, Jacob with the angel agonized in Genesis 32. And uh, Epaphras was agonizing for the Colossians in prayer, his concern that they would stand firm in the will of God, be mature, that means perfected or maturing in Christ and fully assured or, or fulfilled in this. And this fits the overall theme of Colossians. Remember, early on, the Apostle Paul has prayed for the Colossian believers, and by extension, this prayer applies to us, praying that we would be full of the knowledge of the will of God in chapter 1 and perfected in Christ. He was working hard in much pain, is what the word really means, or distress. And it's used only here, that word, and also in Revelation chapter 16. His painful, river, his, his painful labor was for all the believers in that Lycus River Valley. And so he had a focus, he had a heart, he had a concern for their spiritual growth, their maturity, that they would stand firm in the faith. And so we have prayerful people, Epaphras. Verse 14, we see the next one listed is Luke. And we're familiar with Luke. He is <clears throat> the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. Luke, the beloved physician. Of course, Luke was used by God to author the historical book of Acts, the history of the early church. And Luke uh, was a physician and he sends his greetings. He says he was a dear friend and uh, probably the apostle Paul's physician or doctor. He stood firm not only in Paul's imprisonment, but also later when Paul was imprisoned again, and uh, the Apostle, Luke was the, uh, used by God as the author of the third gospel and also of Acts. And by tradition, he is one of the 72 listed in Luke 10, 1. And some suggest that he was one of the in, an anonymous disciples on the Emmaus road when Jesus appeared to them, resurrected Jesus appeared to the disciples on the Emmaus road. So we have Luke and a prayerful person, a person used mightily by God but hit there to send his greetings and to be in support of the Apostle Paul. And then finally, we come in the second part of verse 14 to a notice that Luke, the beloved physician, sends his greetings, and also Demas, and also Demas. He is an interesting person. Demas was with Paul at this point, but later forsook the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy 4.10, towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life, he said, for Demas having loved this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And so there are those who desert those who uh, don't stick with it, do not remain faithful or prayerful. And so there's importance of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about uh, negativity. And of course there's our culture and society is ripe for negativity with this pandemic and with all the things that are going on around us and, uh, but I was thinking about the farmer that I read about who had a brilliant dog, a very smart dog. And he had a neighbor who was just absolutely negative about everything, no matter what. If it was raining, the farmer would say to his neighbor, boy, look at it rain. God is sure washing things clean and and filling and feeding our crops. Yeah, the negative guy said, but if it keeps raining, it's gonna flood. Then the sun would come out and he'd say, if it keeps that up, it's just gonna scorch the crops. Well, the farmer thought, what am I gonna do with this guy? So he trained his dog to walk on water. And he didn't tell his neighbor, but he just took him duck hunting one day. And uh, they came and boom, they brought down some ducks out in the, in the pond. And he said to his dog, go get him. And the dog went across, picked them up, hopped back into the boat. Only thing wet was the bottom of his paws. And the farmer said, well, what do you think of that to his negative neighbor? And the neighbor said, he can't swim, can he? And so we're always surrounded by negativity, especially in this day and age. And uh, we need to be careful. We need not to focus on the fear and the negativity of our times, but focus on the promises of God, focus on the wonderful things that He has promised and is doing in our lives. He is a gracious, good God. You may have seen the film, The Last Emperor. It's a portrayal of the young child who was anointed as the last emperor of China And this uh, young child lives a magical uh, life of luxury with thousands of servants at his command. And his brother asks him in this film, what happens if you do something wrong? And uh, when the the, the young emperor said, when I do something wrong, somebody else is punished. And uh, to demonstrate that, he breaks a valuable jar. And then one of the servants is beaten because of that thing. In Christian theology, Jesus Christ reverses that ancient pattern. When the servants erred, the king was punished. Grace is only free because the giver himself has borne the cost of who it is. We are called to a higher calling than just what we see here in, in our day-to-day experience. It's to live for Jesus Christ, it's to follow him, it's to be faithful, available, prayerful, In our lives as demonstrated by these these people who surrounded the Apostle Paul here even in great imprisonment and uh, and and difficulty and adversity you know Paul moves from the importance as we're going to see next session the importance of discipleship lessons to the substance of the local church and also to the significance of endurance and the magnitude of grace as he concludes this letter we'll see that next time let me pray Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your magnificence in all things. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fact that uh, you are preeminent. Thank you for the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit and thank you for truth to live by contained in your word. And thank you for people who surround us, who illustrate uh, your word in their own lives. And thank you, Lord, for this church, which uh, I belong to. And I thank you for my church family. And for those who help me and who intercede for me, support me, those who love me and inspire me, uh, no one can do it alone. We are not uh, an island unto ourselves. And Lord, uh, I really cannot live as a Christian without each one. I need that part of yourself, and you have placed within them. And they cannot live without me because they need the gifts that you have deposited in me. Lord, free us from selfishness or self-centeredness, on the ego trips, the independence of spirit that keeps us from binding ourselves into one unified whole. Lord, help us to think first of these things which will benefit others before we begin listing our own needs. Give us grace to live in such a way that we draw attention to you, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Blessings, and we'll see you next time.